0: Secrets to Real Estate Investing, episode 77.
1: Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey,
0: everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. I have with me today a gentleman who is... A huge success and something that really stood out to me is that he has had one of the hardest times ever of any of the guests that I've talked to in our little pre-show discussion with his challenges and um, I can't wait for you to hear his story of you know rags to riches or he when he talked about rags it was rags so I can't wait for you to hear this guy's story and meet this flipper. His name is Don Costa. And at that, welcome to the show, Don.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here.
0: Well, thank you so much for giving up your very valuable time to educate our listeners and share with them uh, your story, which is really inspirational. So why don't you give our listeners uh, some of your background and the good and the bad and the ugly and the, the pretty, all of it.
1: Okay, definitely. So <laughs> I started um, originally in 2003, I started, and I started in a market. If everybody remembers, the market was really crazy, and you could pretty much throw a rock at a house and make money, and the money came easy. It went to my head. I thought I was super cool, and everything I touched turned to gold, and I didn't listen to advice, and lo and behold, the market crashed, so everything that I had earned and done to that point slowly basically was ripped through my hands. And I get I guess slowly is probably the wrong word. It's probably more fast, but it was ripped from my hands because I didn't I didn't manage to run my business like a business. I think that was mistake number one. I'd set it up and the money was coming in easy. And it was basically uh, I decided I was gonna open a restaurant and nightclub and I decided I was going to start a sunglass line. I decided I was going to do 50 things that deviated from the original business, the core business, which is real estate investing. And um, I had so many holes in my ship that it was just impossible to hold it together when the market crashed. And I literally lost everything Um, over a period of a handful of years. It got to the point where I was buying gas with quarters. Like I'd pull up and buy a gallon of gas with quarters just to get my kids to daycare. Going to the grocery store with a calculator, praying that I didn't uh, miscalculate. You know, because that's embarrassing to get up there. You don't have So, you know, a lot of people think they have challenges and they're broke and they can't start this business. And I had every challenge against me. I had, you know, when you get started, you have a naivety, number one, that you can conquer the world. Well, I I had that ripped from me. So I didn't have that. Um, I had no money, had no credit. I had judgments against me. Um, I had every obstacle against me at that point in time. And I'm out there scared to death to get back into real estate investing. Trying to get a job. And if you remember what the market was like in 09, 10, 11, I was, um, I have an associate's degree, not a bachelor's. Every every job that I was qualified for required a bachelor's. They wouldn't even talk to me. And every job that, uh, that I, you know, basically didn't require a bachelor's, I was overqualified for. It, so they wouldn't talk to me. And I couldn't get a job. And, um, you know, I, I, I got to a point where I was, I call it the hustler mindset. I was hustling. I was fighting to keep the lights on. I was fighting to keep food on the table. And I became very proud of being broke, basically. And so that's kind of where I landed at the end of the day.
0: So you got good at being broke, at playing the game and staying one step ahead of doom, (laughs) failure, right?
1: (laughs) I got successful being broke. And and then the funny part is, is I got very proud of being successful being broke.
0: So what does that mean? Proud of successful? I mean, proud of being broke. Like what does that even mean? Well, I mean,
1: okay. So those of us who are entrepreneurs, right? I think all of us have the same basic trait that we're, we're fighters. We're conquerors. We, if a challenge is in front of us, we're going to overcome that challenge and we're going to do it with all the passion and fury that we have in us. Okay. So my challenge was keeping lights on. My challenge was keeping food on the table and, um, And I did that well, but I didn't go beyond that. I think is where, you know, you get in this, um, they call it survival mode, right? And you get in this point of your life, you're in survival mode. You're so focused on the little challenges in front of you day to day, like not getting the water shut off or, you know, having enough money for food or money for gas. You're not looking at the big picture. And so I got successful in survival mode and I stayed there. And I think fear was the biggest challenge, right? I think fear was the biggest obstacle we all deal with it on different levels. Uh, for me, maybe it was I was successful and I lost it all, and I was fear—I feared being successful again. I feared losing it all again. I don't know really now, looking back on it. But I just couldn't break the chains, you know. I—I got—I had fooled myself into thinking into thinking that I was in a good place. And uh, we talked a little bit before the interview, but I had this moment. You know, all these challenges—they didn't—they didn't break me. I had this moment where I took my family to Taco Bell. It was a Saturday morning. I checked my, my, my credit card. It was one credit card left. It had a $90 balance on it. And I took my family to, to uh, or $90 available balance. I took my family to Taco Bell and uh, went to pay for the food. It was a $20 order. Taco Bell's packed. And uh, these stores are never packed. But for some reason, this Saturday morning, there's everybody in there. And I give the kid the card, and he runs it, and he's like the client. And so I'm like, there's no way it's declined. Again, I got 90 bucks. Well, apparently available balance and actual balance are different. So what I read was available balance was actually the actual balance, but something had just charged. I think it was the homeowner's insurance to just charged against the card. And so there's really no money there. And uh, so he runs it again. It was declined. And I look across the room to my wife and I'm like, you need, do you have any money? And she says, she says, no. And so I tell the guy to cancel it. And as loud and as lacking tactful as he could possibly do it. Uh, he says, "Why, well, you can't pay for it. And I, I basically, I was like, no, I can't. So I collect my money. I'm hol- my, my, my family. I'm holding my, my head up high and I'm walking in a Taco Bell and I'm just thinking to myself, this is, you know, I got thick skin. It's no big deal. This is just one more challenge I got to overcome. And my son, I'm holding his hand, we're walking to the car and he, he tugs at my hand. He's like, dad, I'm like yes, and he's like, "How come that mean guy wouldn't give us our food?" And you know, we all have these defining moments, right? And that for me was my defining moment. It was like my soul had been kicked out of me. You know, I, I can't even describe just the 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 fear and the sadness and the just just the way it hit me. And I realized that that I had become this hustler and proud to be this hustler. And uh, I had to shed that, you know, if I was going to move forward and be successful, I had to shed that. I couldn't be proud of being successful. I was failing my family. I was failing everybody that mattered. I had to basically, I had to go out and build life. So,
0: wow. Oh, that, does your son remember that at all or not? How old is he now?
1: He was, he was six and now he is 13. So uh, I don't know if he remembers it the way I remember it, but, he, you know, he, I'm sure he remembers getting pulled out of Taco Bell without being feared.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that's a pretty, um, could be a memorable moment for a kid, like, what? We're going to eat fast food, junk food. Why don't we get it? So, right. yeah. Wow. And how many kids do you have?
1: Uh, at the time, I had two. I had two boys. Now I have two boys and a girl. So, yeah.
0: right. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So that motivated and inspired you tremendously, apparently. So what did you change and what did you do next?
1: Well, okay. So it wasn't like it was just an easy fix, right? I think that um, I don't want to oversimplify the story because, you know, I, I went out there and I'm like, okay, let's take this full account of who I am and what I have to offer. And I knew that I was good at identifying deals and I was good at raising private capital. I was just scared to death to do it. Right, I mean, I was terrified to go out there and do it. I felt like the market had failed me, but really, I had failed the market. I failed, you know, myself. And um, so I said, okay, let's go work for a competitor. Let's go find somebody in the market who's doing real estate investing to work for them. Maybe I can add value to the company. And that was, you know, getting that job was challenging. I got, uh, you know, I went on a couple of interviews. I got turned down, and the answer was always the same: you're worth way more than we can pay you. And uh, so. Uh, Being left with no option, I put an ad on Craigslist to find some investors, some capital. And one of the stipulations I always want to put when I tell that part of the story is I put on there must be close enough to have a cup of coffee. I didn't want somebody from another country with, you know, like a rich uncle who found, you know, who passed away and had this inheritance, right? I mean, you know, all the cons and stuff out there. I put on there, they had to be close enough to have a cup of coffee. I got, got six calls. And I ended up meeting with one gentleman, you know, a few times. And over the course of the meetings, um, he ended up agreeing to back me in a JV partnership. where basically, I do all the work and he puts off all the money. And uh, so when, once he said yes, I got on the phone, I started calling agents and I'm like, I got all this money behind me. I just need a deal. So I got an agent who found a project for me and he funded it. And uh, I made 10 grand off that deal. And it was gone before I got it, <laughs> but I was back in the game. And at the end of the day, it was it was proof of concept again that I could do it, that, that I could actually make it work.
0: So did that ten grand like make a big difference in your life, or was it just you know paying off some debts? Or did you feel like okay, I'm back, I'm on top of the world, or how did you feel at that point?
1: Well, you know, like I said, it was definitely it was gone before I got it. I, I had uh, some catching up to do and paying off some debts and. And, and that kind of thing, but it was just, you know, I think that the biggest struggle people have, whether they're brand new or, or any of us who've been in the business for a while, but we're looking to grow to a certain point is belief, right? Mm-hmm. Belief in what we can accomplish. And, uh, when you're new, you don't believe that you can do it, that that's everybody else. And there's this glass ceiling. I always, I always talk about that until that breaks, until you actually see proof of concept, you're always going to struggle with your beliefs. Um, and for me, it was, you know, did I have the skills to come back into the game and succeed, I think was one of the beliefs I struggled with. And when I got that check, it was like my proof of concept. I just knew, you know, I knew, okay, I, I can do this, you know, three or four more times, you know, 10 or 15 more times.
0: How many houses had you flipped before you stopped, um, like before your, your challenges, you say? Oh,
1: several hundred. You know, I was, I was doing the, um, I was good at it. I was doing the subject two thing. I was doing a lot of um, default pre foreclosure work and I bought everything subject to, I leveraged it and, um, and we'd rehab and resell, right? The difference between now and then is I was running it kind of wild, wild west. Like if we took, you know, three months on what should have been a 30 day rehab and I went over budget, you know, 20 grand. In that market, I made another $40,000 of profit. Right. So I didn't I didn't. <laughs> just yeah, shooting up. Yeah. So I didn't see the repercussions of not running like a business. I was getting rewarded for it, which was totally the wrong thing that should have happened to me coming out the gate. So uh, this time around, we just run it like a business time and efficiencies and structure. And, you know, our average turn time is 100 days. We want to get in and get out of a project and get paid on it. And, um, you know, we built a team and structure, so it's different. But even then, I did well. I mean, I did really, really well. Um, I think it's unfortunate that it was so easy. You know, had there been a little more of a struggle, I probably wouldn't have fell as hard.
0: Yes, but you maybe wouldn't have succeeded at all because, I mean, we had a lot of that same we were jumping in in 2008, August of 2008, and that's when the banks were giving the houses away. And right. we had plenty of situations like you. I mean, it we was still declining at some point, but we got them so cheap that that solved all of our problems. So, yeah, I used to go like, well, "Why have we been flipping house forever? This is so easy. What took us so long to start? It wasn't always that easy. Anybody could do it right. at certain times of the market." Well, tell us more then about, um, why don't you tell us about your best deal ever that you loved?
1: I think the best deal um, that I ever did, and this was pre-crash, was a property that I picked up subject to, um, didn't have hardly any money into it. I just basically reinstated it and gave the homeowner a little bit of money and turn around and assigned it
0: for $120,000. Oh my gosh, right. so that's like an infinite return on investment. $120,000 profit on nothing in, wow. Awesome. So that was the
1: that was the best pre-crash. Um, I think the, probably the best post-crash is one we just recently did this year where we bought it for 90. And we put about 30 into it. We turned around and resold it and made almost $95,000 on it. So uh, that was still, that was a rehab, but it was, it was a really good return for what we had into it. Yeah. So.
0: And I don't think we've mentioned here on air where your area is. So tell us where you're doing this. What's your market?
1: I'm in the Central Valley, California. i my home base is Fresno and we go about an hour South and a couple hours North. So we actually work in multiple counties. But uh, our home base is Fresno. That's where I'm at.
0: And what's your typical purchase price and ARV of where you are or where you're doing business? So
1: we we try to stay in first time buyer, second time buyer price ranges. And so our typical ARV is going to be somewhere between 150 and 250. Um, our typical purchase price is going to probably range on average between 80 to probably 140.
0: And how do you acquire your deals?
1: We do a combination of things. The first thing I want to talk about is um, so starting broke in business without any money to really do anything is was a blessing. And what it forced me to do was use OPM. Now people equate that to other people's money. I call that other people's marketing.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: And so I would troll Craigslist on a regular basis. And I would um, find people who are posting ads. Basically, they're wholesaling, they're cash buyers, whatever. And I would call all of them. And I would ask them, you know, wholesaler, you cash buyer, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking to do. And I built relationships. I called bandit signs. I called real estate agents. Um, if I was at a house, you know, at a showing with an agent, I asked that agent to lunch or coffee, and, um, I built relationships because I had no choice. And I built this strong network of people who are friends, um, who bring me deals. And, and at today we joke in the, in the office, we call them basically fall in your lap deals. I'm constantly getting a phone call with, I got a property. And, um, through that network I built, you know, five years ago, six years ago now. So I built, you know, network and, and a lot of people, they, they, they don't think networking sexy. They take it for granted. And I would say that probably half of our volume comes from our network and networking and the relationships that I built, you know, over the years. And um, something that people should do when I when I say networking, I don't mean go to a and swap business cards. I mean have a conversation, invite them to coffee, invite them to lunch, find ways to add value to their business, you know, let them know that you're solid, you're a solid player. Because at the end of the day, an agent cares about deal closing. A wholesaler cares about a deal closing. Everybody cares about getting paid, you know, show them that you, you're the guy that they can count on. That you can perform and build those relationships and be the person that they think about when something falls and they in a lot. And that, that is a huge component of my success, huge component of the volume my business does right now. Um, on top of that, we do everything else. We do, you know, we do SEO, PPC, direct mail. We shake every single bush, uh, And and, uh, we shake every bush constantly. But networking has always been the leader in
0: what we do. Well, I love it. And I've only ever done networking, so you're talking to a believer in networking. We bought our first 100 houses at the courthouse steps at auctions, you know, starting in 2008. About 20, I don't know when it was, 2011, 2012, when the hedge funds pushed us little guys out, my husband said, you like to talk to people. Go find us some deals. And I would. And I had two realtors that I bought over 10 houses each with because I would give them the relist. And that worked really well. And then they kept coming back. They knew I, would, I was a woman of my word. I did what I said I would. Even one time when I paid three commissions on the resale instead of two because somehow an extra agent got in the deal, we paid everybody, we want everyone happy. It was worth it. <laughs> so do you have a license yourself? Do you resell or do you let... Um, the realtors that bring them
1: to you, resell them? I'm not licensed. The way we're set up is we have um, a sister real estate company, separate, totally separate company. Um, I'm not licensed. I never have been. We we try to give back to the agents that bring us deals. So a lot of the agents we built relationships with through the years we know are solid. If they bring us the listing, we're going to relist with them. Um, We want to add value to their business too. It's not just about what we can get. So we do that as much as we can. We do have controls. In place, like you know, we, we take the pictures, we have the professional pictures taken, we tell them the marketing remarks, we tell them the agent remarks. Um, everything's going to be stipulated. We, we have a standard counter we use, so everything's done um, basically to our formula, our format, our controls. But um, they, they'll handle the listing and uh, handle the showings. And so I'm starting to kind of get away with it, get away from it because um, a few of the newer people we've worked with. They're just not grasping, um, you know, the needs of a company like ours. You know, I'm sure you, you can feel me on that. Uh, so if, if you're a smart agent and, and you've got a good head on your shoulders and you're willing to do the work, we're definitely realistic with you. If you're not uh, willing to do the work, we're, we're shying away from it. Yeah, I
0: always think it's funny when agents want – they just throw an address to me and say, what do you think? I'm like, well – why don't you give me comps and ARV and what do you think it needs for the area? Because I I work in a big broad area as sounds like you do too. And I don't know some niches are Hispanic neighborhoods that want brown cabinets and brown granite and something else, and the other neighborhoods want gray and white everything. Like you rely on your realtors for their expertise, and Absolutely. they got to do something during that commission, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, would you mind sharing with us one of your Um, learning experiences or worse deals or something where you learned a lot and maybe didn't make so much money?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we actually just, uh, again, this year we had one. So everybody talks about systems in business, right? And systems in business are essentially the the boundaries with which your team operates in. Every time you have a struggle or an issue in your business, at least the way we do it, is we will define a system to make sure that doesn't happen again. These are the steps for which you will follow to make sure that problems don't happening. And um, one of our systems in our business is that our project manager has to view the property before we close. So, our acquisitions guys they 'll make their offer based on a quick and dirty assessment of what the rehab's going to be they 'll go look at it and they 'll reassess what they think the rehab 's going to be but they 're not they're acquisitions they 're not dealing with the contractors and the price points and so our project manager has to see the property and we had one where my acquisitions guy came in he said know i walked it it 's great it 's going to be a thirty thousand dollar rehab all day long. You have nothing to worry about." Uh, let's just close. We need to get this closed. And so I let that kind of skip that step. Right. And we closed on it. It ended up being a $65,000 rehab. Oh Project. crap. Okay. So
0: what happened there? <laughs> <So> <laughs> what surprise popped up?
1: He missed the fact that all the windows were plexiglass windows. Um, I've
0: never heard of such a thing. thing that's a thing.
1: That's a thing. Uh, um he missed the fact that the back you know the back patio awning was all rotted out he missed the fact that the ac which was a split unit uh, was shot and you know basically needed to be replaced he missed a lot of things but in that you know we have that system in place for those checks and balances so that the guys who aren't doing this every day and don't know what to look for aren't the final decision makers and we skipped the step and um I didn't lose on it. I mean, it's an operational loss because you have all kinds of other expenses. So at the end of the day, we, we just barely broke even on the project. But it just, it's, it underscores the fact that systems have to be, have to be followed in your organization. Whatever you, the parameters you put on are put on for a reason, you got to follow those steps. So I have one more I can share actually. We have one other system in our organization where we counter with the per diem. So we do $100 a day per diem on all of our counters. And we usually give them a three or four day grace period. Oh, um, well, yeah. Wait,
0: wait, let me cut you off there. Yeah. What is per diem for someone who's new into okay. that? What does that mean? That's
1: fair. So a per diem basically is a per day charge that you're going to charge somebody for every day that they're
0: late. A penalty. A yes. Penalty. Yes. For so failing to close on time. For failing. I have them. imposed those many times. Yes.
1: So we do it on every property. Um, we also require all of our buyers to go through our preferred lender to qualify, to make sure that they're solid because we don't know if their aunt Jane wrote their pre qualifying letter or not. Right. So, um, we had an agent in our office. He got an offer $20,000 over asking on a property that we listed $10,000 higher than we expected to, and so he got really excited. He just accepted the offer. He skipped the preferred lender step. He skipped the putting the per diem on the counter. That property, basically 70 days in escrow before we closed. So, Ouch. and yeah. So in their recent learning experiences, and part of that I think is um, we get comfortable in our businesses and we start thinking that it's okay to skip steps or it's okay to, you know, not be so reg- rigid and regimented. Right. And, um, every time we skip a step, we end up getting reminded why the steps are in place.
0: Yeah. Well, and I find myself as I'm training a new assistant, mm-hmm that there's so much in our heads from our experience in your head from hundreds of houses that we take for granted just like the per diem and I said oh explain per diem my assistant doesn't know what that is yet I haven't taught her that because she's so new still but yeah you have to if you want to expand beyond what you can handle you've got a document everything so that you can be teaching other people and having policies and procedures so but you know hey on the positive side that one closed right Right. (laughs) so I've had them sometimes when they drag out and then they somehow can't qualify or do something lovely like go buy a new car because they're all excited to buy a whole house full of new furniture on credit oops Drop their credit score below the minimum threshold. Can't qualify for the loan now. So right. yeah, been there, had that happen too. <laughs> yeah,
1: those are my favorite. Yeah, let's buy a new car before we close and throw your income totally off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really work. Well, that is really interesting. I really appreciate you sharing all that. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your system structure and people look like and who works with you and for you and just like overview of what people are are doing in your business and the the roles they play.
1: Yeah. We have, um, Brennan, we have two project managers, Uh, excuse me, I back up. We have two acquisitions guys who um, do all of our acquisitions and one of them manages our marketing, so we are shifting that a little bit. We're, we are hiring the lead intake person and moving one of our acquisitions guys over to dispositions. And we're going to start picking up some more wholesales and stuff. We, we found in the market right now, it seems crazy to let these leads we've, we've paid for and fought for just kind of fall to the wayside if they don't fit our model. And we're actually capitalizing on them, so, and um, we're going to hire another acquisitions guy to uh, fill his role when we move him. So that's kind of what our, our, our front looks like. On the rehab side, we have two project managers. Um, they manage all the projects, make sure our budgets and timelines are in place. We basically work with contractors on our projects. Um, general contractors we built relationships with, and we have all kinds of crazy things. Like we do standardized pricing, we do uh, the way we pay controls timelines. We got all kinds of really cool things in place. But so we built these relationships with contractors and our vendors, and and they're like an extension and arm of our company at this point. And um, and then I have Cass who is one of the greatest hires I've ever made <laughs> who handles transaction coordinating, um, the investor relations. She's the one that says to the investor, we have a project and your documents, this is close. And she does our books as well and pretty much anything else. I you know, I always refer to her as hey Cass, you know. <laughs> so
0: nice
1: um so that's that's really the flipping operation in a nutshell and then we have a sister corporation who has a broker and seven agents under it so um, wow and we all kind of everybody kind of has their roles and responsibilities and
0: about what kind of volume do you do per month or per year and or how many you have going at a time give us an idea what that looks like
1: yeah we average around 100 a year um we have anywhere from 20 to 25 properties in inventory at all times um, rehabs range between eight and fifteen, depending on kind of the month. Uh, what's actually in rehab at any one time. So. Wow!
0: So you have multiple contractors working for you to be able to handle that much volume, huh?
1: We have multiple contractors, and and I don't give everything to a contractor. You know, realistically, we do. We have like a roofing contractor, an AC contractor. We have a window vendor that we use. Uh, we have a flooring contractor, and then the con- then the general gets pretty much everything else. So that way we can stack the trades and we're not dependent on somebody to complete the entire job. So we do a little trade stack. When I say we run generals, it's, it's for the core of the project, but we do stack a lot of
0: trades up. I do that same thing. However, I will say sometimes we get the whole finger pointing thing going where, Oh, well it wasn't ready for paint. They didn't do enough drywall repair and Oh, well, it wasn't ready for flooring because they didn't clean up their mess. So now we've got stuff we've got to, so have you had issues with that or are all, all these people like working well together and playing well with others
1: now? One of the, I mean, so basically the way I approach my company and my employees and anybody I work with is I'm looking for people who are teachable and coachable, right? I'm looking mm. to build a team and that's, that's been my mind frame. So we do run into that occasionally, but not as much as I think a lot of other people, because a lot of the vendors we work with, we've worked with for three, four, five years. They all know each other. They all know us. They know we're not going to tolerate it. And so we don't get it as often, you know, every once in a while, somebody will pick up a sink from the cabinet shop and, and it'll have a crack on it or a chip on it. And they'll blame the cabinet shop and the cabinet shop will say it's perfect when it left. But that's pretty much the extent of where we run into. Everybody knows there. I mean, they know what we expect. We, we also pay weekly. We pay you weekly for the work completed and they know that if we're not, we've paid you through Friday on Monday, we could easily slide somebody else in there. So, you know, we have that as well, you know, that's, that's, that allows us to manage some of that.
0: Wow. Wow. Lots and lots of good tips there guys. I hope you're listening and maybe taking some notes. That's because I, that's, that's really, really good. Well, we're wrapping up here near the end of our show time, but I wanted to um, share with our listeners, uh, guys, Don is generously giving us his JV agreement, which is what really helped him start out at the beginning. He um, talked about doing his first deal that way. And I mean, I've got a friend that's flipped hundreds of houses and he does this all the time still. So a typical JV agreement is where one person will do all the work. One person puts up all the money, and they split it 50-50. However, of course, that can vary based on the person's experience and based on the, the power of the man with the money. Um, I love the golden rule. He with the gold makes the rules. <laughs> anyway, so Don is going to share with you guys for our free download this week his JV agreement that he used that you are welcome to take and modify. He is not a lawyer or state standing behind it as a lawyer. So have your lawyer review it, of course. And you can get that by going to hardhatholly.com forward slash 77 or show 77. Sounds like a lucky number, Don. (laughs) And you can also get it by texting hardhat, all one word, hardhat, no space between it, to the number 38470. And with that, at 38470, you can be texted weekly updates of when our shows go live as well as getting the downloads. So text hardhat to 38470 to get that. Now, Don, how can people reach out to you and will you tell us about your podcast, please?
1: Yeah, I have um, I have a podcast called Flip Talk and um, we talk about you know pretty much everything real estate investing for the most part. Um, you can reach me at dawn at flip com, and um, you can also find me on Facebook and um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. You know, we, uh, the, the podcast has been around for a year. I think you're a little, just a little more than a year old as well, right? Yeah. So we've been around for a year and it's an amazing thing to do. I love the audience interaction and just the, I've met some wonderful people from around the country and it's been a lot of fun, so.
0: Well, good. So guys, go check out his podcast. Of course, show him some love, give him some those rating and reviews and iTunes that we all love. So flip talk, go check him out on his podcast. Well, thank you so much for your time, Don. I'll say Don Costa when you guys are looking for him. Don Costa. Thank you so much. Do you have any final words of wisdom, parting advice that you'd love to share?
1: Um, yeah, I think that I would just say that, um, you know, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And it's important to to, to dream, set your goals and go out there after with passion. And, you know, this business in a lot of ways, if you just follow the fundamentals and you do the work you can accomplish so many things. And with so little experience in life or, or, or business, you can accomplish so many wonderful things. You just, you got to stay the course, practice fundamentals and do the Get out there and do the work.
0: I love it. I always talk about that too. Take some action. Don't be afraid. Take some action. And when you hit challenges, reach out. There's so many people that are willing and able to help you and answer your questions. So with that, thank you again for your time. And you guys get out there and take some action.
1: Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.